You're listening to episode 36 of season 12 of the GNU World Order for September 3rd, 2018. We're going to talk about a few things in this episode. Some listener feedback with some uh, a said tip and some other notes on some commands like kill all. Some feedback about SteamOS and Valve. The 90-10 problem, which I'll discuss and attempt to solve. Probably won't solve it, but talk about it. Let's get started. Might as well kick this off with a little bit of e- listener email because I've gotten some good, some some great tips. The first one is is sublimely simple, but really really useful. So this is from Ingerand, and uh, this is a said snippet, not very complex, but handy when you are a heavy SSH user. So sometimes SSH complains about an offending key in the known underscore hosts file and gives you the line number of the offending uh, key. So what he does is he uses said to just blow that line away. So as a simple example, he provides uh, cat foo, so foo bar and baz. Foo bar baz. Three lines, right? So let's say you, the, the offending key is the second, is, is line number two of the foo file. So said dash dash in dash place dash dash expression and then single quote 2d close single quote foo. So the short version of that, which you'll probably recognize even even better, is said dash i dash e single quote 2d close single quote foo. Then if you cat foo, you only have foo, no bar, and baz. Second line is deleted. It's as simple as that. And I think that's where a lot of us use said a lot is is just kind of those quick one-off edits. And there are some great websites out there like uh, said.sourceforge.net slash said1line.txt. That's said and then the number one and then the word line.txt. This is a great file. of. It's just one of those files that, I mean, I, I downloaded it onto my thumb drive and just ca- carry it around with me. But it's also online at a pretty simple, pretty simple to remember uh, URL. And, and it gives you a bunch of examples of all the cool, well, one-liners from for, for said that you can do and and it doesn't it doesn't really do a, a great job of explaining what it's doing i mean i think there's an argument both ways on that like this is a cheat sheet so if they start telling you how they're working their magic then suddenly it becomes a lesson not a cheat sheet and this is very much a, a cheat sheet so for instance double sort a double space a file said space capital G, and that will double space a file. How does it do that? Well, it doesn't tell you. It's a cheat sheet. So if you want to know the specifics of said, then you need to read a book about the subject, which I guess is fair. You just have to know what you're what you're reading and, and why you're reading it. The, the capital G in said, by the way, means to get something out of a holding space. So I kind of have the feeling, I mean, I haven't really thought about it all that much, but have a feeling that certain things in said that we do every day are, I mean, not that I double space files every day, but certain things that we do are potentially almost abuses of said, you know? I mean, like, said space capital G was not, the the original intent of that was not to double space a file. G is a much more complex concept than that. So said space G happens to be retrieving empty space from a holding pa- uh, from a holding space and printing it after each line. And so the result is that it is double spaced, but that's not if you think about it that's not the meaning of that command. Anyway, I'm digressing. Point is, I guess that uh, yeah, if you want to learn said, you should read a book about it. But if you do need quick one-liners then said.sourceforge.net/said one line 
one-liner or one-line.txt, uh, one-line.txt is a pretty pretty neat little cheat sheet. And as for Ingoran's um, example or, or, or trick, yeah, that happens to me all the time, the SSH known underscore hosts file. If you don't set up your home network such that you have static IP addresses or, or, if, or if the IP addresses of whatever you're accessing for whatever reason changes, then when SSH tries to go to an IP address and finds a different SSH fingerprint on that side, then it warns you on your side that, hey, something may be going on. And, and the, the, really, the only fix for that is to, well, I mean, you could, you could find out what's going on if you're actually concerned, but it, I, I usually experience this on my home network because there are a couple of devices that I don't assign static IP addresses to on the home network. And shouldn't have to, you know, if I don't want to. Uh, but but that does mean that SSH often warns me about this this apparent conflict of of trust. And so yeah, deleting a line from the known hosts file is, is something that I have to do frequently enough to where uh, I think I'll probably use this tip. So thanks, Ingrand. Next listener email was from Brad, uh, who I know as Vulcan Writer on IRC, and he says that I would be careful with the kill all command. Actually, I never use the kill all command. I use pkill instead. The problem is that in many of the commercial Unixes, AIX comes to mind, kill all does that. It is the first step in shutdown. Let me tell you my sad story. I was upgrading licenses on an app on an I IBM 6M1 running AIX. Well, you had to kill the process, upgrade the license, and restart the process. So on the first several, I did PS... AUXWWW pipe grep in the application and killed its PID, its PID. Then I thought I was getting clever and I did a kill all application. Unfortunately, AIX's kill all did just that, killed all processes. The box basically got to the point where it was ready to shut down. At that point, it was ready for a reboot, and this being one of the GTLD DNS servers. It was a 45-minute odyssey to get the box back up and online. Wow, that sounds horrific. Uh, from that day forward, I have used pkill. You can also use pgrep to get a list of processes, uh, of process IDs fitting a criteria. I have not used killall since 2004. That's an interesting story. I had no idea that killall had a flexible uh, definition, although it doesn't surprise me. I mean, that's that's, I guess, one of the... The, the, the dangers of, of getting too comfortable in one Unix or one Unix-like operating system is that you really do, you start to think that the names of commands mean something. And a lot of times they really don't. I mean, like I was saying in what I assume uh, Vulcan Rider is responding to, kill and kill all, those are horribly named applications because they're not, they're not accurate. I mean, especially kill, where you can, you know, send other signals through kill. It's a it's a terrible name. And but but anyway, aside from that complaint, the the fact that that you know even like said to tie it back to the previous one, said is is said, but actually it's not. It's G said or or maybe it's um maybe it's not G said, maybe it's actually said. And you think they're going to work the same, but some switches don't work the same. I mean, this is the problem that POSIX was is is meant to solve, but but there are variations. There are, there are things that deviate from from a standard, or things that aren't accounted for in a standard, or things that 
that go on top of a standard. And you, you, you get comfortable with it on, on whatever box you happen to be running, and you assume that that is just a universal truth. And on Unix, that's not necessarily the case. Which, I mean, that's, I don't think that's, I don't see that as a, a, a problem, problem, but it, it's a danger. It's something, something we should probably talk about, you know, within the Unix community, just kind of, especially to new users, you know, hey, just, just because you're learning this implementation of, of this command, understand that it might have the same name, or it may be symlinked to the same name, but it could behave differently on a different box. I mean, I guess that could become a problem if you've got a, a, a script or something that invokes some command and 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 it it turns really ugly on another Unix. Uh, I, I, I'm not sure if that if that really happens all that often, but I mean, I think in my experience, the worst that happens is that something fails, you know, an, an option in set or grab or, or, or whatever fails on on a different Unix and, and you just kind of get a bailout. But I guess it depends on what process you're running too. I mean, what what are you what are you doing when when that command fails? So something to be aware of, something to be mindful of. So thank you very much for that feedback, Vulcan Writer. If you read the show notes to the previous episode, you'll know that by the time I had released the episode the rumor mill, which, remember I said, we shouldn't probably talk about rumors on this show because, uh, I, I don't know why because, but I just don't like talking about rumors, I guess, but I, that one was very appealing to me, this this news, this rumor about Valve and Steam, and by the time I'd posted the episode, already, things had changed, things had actually shifted. So I got a, a message on Mastodon from Draco Metallium, who said, hey, you should look at this, um, this, this, bit of information, this article about uh, Valve and something that they're doing with Steam OS or something. And I thought, in my mind, he was referring to the episode, which is silly because I hadn't posted the episode yet. He messaged me on, I don't know, like Tuesday or Wednesday, and, you know, I, 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 I wasn't going to post the episode till the scheduled date, obviously, of, of Saturday or Sunday or whatever it is. So, uh, I, in my head, he was referring to to what I just talked about, you know, in real life, where I had recorded the episode. But actually, no, he was just picking up on the same sort of buzz that I had picked up on. And But his source had an interesting, like, actually, well, had source code, which is great. And and the, the page to which you should direct your attention if you're interested in this sort of thing is github.com slash valve software slash proton, P-R-O-T-O-N. And it is, it says right in the description line, compatibility tool for Steam Play based on Wine and additional components. And that's that's from Valve Software. Uh, their README goes on a bit, but it says, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's worth probably a little bit of a read. So, uh, Proton is a tool for use with Steam Client, which allows games which are exclusive to Windows to run on Linux and macOS operating systems. It uses Wine to facilitate this. Most users will prefer to use Proton provided, pr- provided by the Steam client itself. The source code is provided to enable advanced users the ability to alter Proton. For example, some users may wish to use a different version of Wine with a particular file. Getting started with Proton. Make sure you are opted into the Steam client beta. 
Proton requires graphic drivers that are more recent than what is typically packaged in most distributions, so you'll probably need updated graphics drivers. Install and play games. Please refer to this post, and it links to a, um, a Steam, or a, a Valve, steamcommunity.com, the, the Valve forums, dated 21st of August. So this is, you know, pretty hot off the presses, or, or was pretty hot off the presses when I was recording about it. So, in 2010, we announced Steam Play, a way for Steam users to access Windows, Mac, and Linux versions of Steam games with a single purchase. More than 3,000 of the games that have been added to Steam after that point have included Linux support, with more titles being added every day. Since then, we've continued to look for ways to make more titles easily accessible to Linux users. So, two years ago, we started an effort to improve the quality and performance of Windows compatibility solutions for Steam games. A lot of our work has been in the form of supporting Wine, which um, is, of course, winehq.org, and other existing compatibility projects. We have all... Uh, we have also been integrating these tools into the Steam client to provide the same simple plug-and-play experience offered by regular Linux games. So, in other words, you are, you know, ostensibly um, able now to to purchase a game from the from within the Steam client, which which is really just it's it's nothing more than a way to buy games uh, online. So, you know, digital downloading and then managing your your game library and getting updates and things like that. So that, that's what Steam is. You can buy a game through this interface, and quite possibly play it whether or not it advertises itself as, as a Linux-compatible game. And some of the, I mean, some of the, the titles are, are fairly, fairly major, if you're kind of keep paying attention at all to, um, to, to the gaming scene. So, I mean, there are things like Doom, Doom 2, Doom VFR, don't know what that is, Fallout Shelter, Final Fantasy VI, uh, Google Earth VR, which, I mean, that's not exactly a game, but, I mean, that's VR stuff, so one of their, one of their targets is actually VR stuff, which I don't really care about, but I know that apparently the gaming industry still sort of thinks that's a thing. So, Magic the Gathering, uh, both 2012 and 2013, Duels of the Planewalkers, Mountain Blade, I don't really know what those are. Payday, The Heist, I thought Payday... No, it's Payday 2 that is on Linux. Star Wars, Battlefront 2. Uh, let's see what else. Tropico 4, I've heard of that. Ultimate Doom and Warf, uh, Warhammer 40, 40k, 40,000, 40, Dawn of War. Uh, Dark Crusade and Soulstorm. So, and there's another Warhammer, uh, if I recall correctly, that just came out on Linux like a year ago. But anyway, point, point is that this is... Um, this is a real deal. This is a, a, a thing. It is it is happening right now, and there's quite a bit going on from Valve. Uh, I think last time I was saying I'm, that I am surprised that Valve isn't pushing their technology more. And and, and while while I'm still confused about that, and I'll I'll talk about that again in a moment. But they certainly do seem to be putting money where their mouth is in in some in some ways. So. So here's, so for instance, what is Proton exactly? This is again from this forum post. How does it differ from normal Wine? Who worked on it? Proton is a tool distribution based on a modified version of Wine. This includes improvements to Wine. Uh, the, the included improvements to Wine have been designed and funded by Valve in a joint effort with Codeweavers. So Codeweavers, if you don't know, is the commercial, well, I don't know the structure of their organization, but, but it, I've always considered it as the commercial arm of wine. They're, they're the ones that you can pay in order to support wine. 
Here are some examples of what we've been working on together since 2016. VKD3D, that's, uh, you can go to source.ynhq.org, that's the direct 3D uh, version 12 implementation based on Vulkan. And direct 3D being a, I don't know a whole lot about it, but I, I, I know that it's kind of the, the Windows slash Microsoft um, sort of uh, engine for, for fancy 3D graphics. The OpenVR and Steamworks native API bridges, mini Wine 3D performance and functionality fixes for Direct 3D 9 and 11, overhauled full screen and gamepad support, the eSync, I don't know what that is, patch set for multi threaded performance improvements. Now I know what that is. Modifications to Wine are submitted upstream, uh, as long as they're compatible with the goals and requirements of the Wine project. As a result, Wine users have been benefiting from parts of this work for over a year now. The rest is available as part of our source code repository for Proton and its modules. In addition to that, we've been supporting the development of DKVK, the Direct 3D 11 implementation based on Vulkan, Vulkan of course being the successor to OpenGL. The nature of this support includes employing the DXVK developer in our open source graphics group since February 2018, providing direct support from, open for, uh, from our open source graphics group to fix Mesa driver issues affecting DXVK and provide prototype implementations of brand new Vulkan features to improve DXVK functionality. And working with our partners over at Kronos, that's the group managing Vulkan, NVIDIA, Intel, and AMD to support Vulkan features and driver support. So I guess the big the, the the message here is that they may not be that they may not be marketing <laughs> steam machines very well um or, or at least as far as i can tell um or, or at least not in the expected way but they they certainly do seem to be pretty serious about the develop on the developing side and that's exciting that's that really is very very exciting because this means that 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 there's a there's a, a group of people who are very interested in making <laughs> in making money in 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 converging and causing the the gaming market to just kind of unify. That's huge. It's a huge deal. I was I was sitting around the other day thinking about how the search engine space has developed over time. This is going to tie back into this um, Steam thing, by the way. And and it's kind of weird because if you look at at the search engine space right now. I mean, you can come up with a couple of names, uh, but a lot of the names that, that used to be their own thing are now just basically front ends for, you know, Google, or, or a combination, a combo front end for Google and whatever else. But amidst all the collapse of the search engine, of search engine, engine um, diversity, th there fairly recently arose this really this sort of the major player, right? And I'll, I'll get to the name in a moment. But this major player, and, and I don't feel like anyone was actually asking for this major player. I'm talking, of course, about Bing. So there's this ridiculous search engine all of a sudden called Bing that is, you know, competing pretty much with, with Google in a, in a space that no one has been able to compete for, for a decade or more. And it kind of came about, you know, years ago now, but no one was, I don't feel like anyone was ever, no, no one was sitting around thinking, you know, what we really need is a search engine by Microsoft. Like, that's, that's what we actually need here. I mean, DuckDuckGo sort of arose on its own, I feel, because people were sort of saying, you know, I'd like to stop using Google as much. 
and I don't want to switch to Bing either. Um, but but there's this other, you know, this this Bing thing, and it just became it became a thing, right? So in my mind, it was it was very much forced into its position by by money and by by forced ubiquity. That is to say that it ships as the default search engine. I'm assuming on you know 80% or whatever it is out there of personal computers. Like it's 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 just everywhere because they were able to make it everywhere. And I guess in, in my mind, when I thought, oh my gosh, Valve is supporting Linux, in my mind, what I was, I think I was thinking, I think a lot of people were thinking, was that, that this console or, or this platform was going to be, I guess, forced into, into ubiquity. You know, it was going to be marketed and put into ubiquity, whether people knew that they wanted it or not. And and when that didn't happen, I guess there was a some degree of, I guess, disappointment, you know. And I kind of like, well, what happened to the Steam machine? Where where's my Linux platform? My my Linux-based console? Where did that go? But this news, the news that that Valve is dumping a lot of money into developing, you know, into furthering Linux, even by way of just saying, look, we're not delivering exclusives anymore. We're collapsing the 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 space into into one unified platform that any OS can run that's huge that's huge for i think a lot of people because people who want to game on their computer you know they don't necessarily want to have to go get another 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 computer just to put by their TV in the living room they 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 have no use for that they just want to play games on their computer they shouldn't have to buy a new computer just to install windows so that they can install steam so that they can install the stupid game that they want to play so that's a big deal i think and um uh, it's exciting that valve is um dumping money into this and submitting stuff upstream i mean this is kind of the best case scenario isn't it i mean outside of that sort of make my linux console appear on the shelves and make it replace windows outside of that dream this is kind of exactly what people want from a company that is taking both taking advantage of and submitting back to open source so it is an exciting exciting thing if you're into gaming it is a rumor confirmed and i guess you could even try it out today if you opt into the steam client beta and activate Proton. If you do try that, let me know how it goes. I'll probably try something. I don't. I think I have probably a game or two from like Humble Bundle. You know that you kind of get without really. You know, you, you buy a bundle and you think, oh, I want that and that and that because those are Linux games. But then you have like three others that are just Windows games. So I'm I I'm sure that I have a Windows game or two in my Steam library that I could I could try this out on. So let me know if you try it. We'll compare notes. Hey, that is music to my ears and probably yours too because it means it's time for a cup of coffee. So go get yourself one. We'll meet back here for a discussion of what I'm calling the 90-10 problem, which you'll understand in a moment. See you soon. I've been sitting around watching people compute lately. I mean, not in a creepy way. Just I've I've happened to observe people using their computers, and it's 2018. And I've said this probably for the past. Well, people have been saying it for the past 
probably 10 years, probably a solid 10 years now. And it's 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 simultaneously funny how how true it still is and yet how inaccurate it still is that people their computer usage usually boils down to open a web browser and that's it that's that was the step you, turn, you know you could you could get a little bit more granular and say okay open your computer turn it on sign in maybe open a web browser and then that's it. That is their computer, their operating system. And I realize, like I say, for a solid decade, people have been saying this. They've been saying it for good or for bad. They've been saying people don't use an operating system anymore. They use a web browser. And to this day, I, I see that still being, I guess, as true as it ever has been. And by that, I mean, well, I guess 90% of the time, you're right. People are just using their web browser. I see people who are who are fairly advanced computer users. I mean, not super advanced, but you know, fairly advanced people who are capable. And and they'll they're they're writing their text documents in Google Docs. They are writing their other things that people do on in applications in a web browser. You know, it's just it's all in a web browser. Everything communi uh, communication um, you know, work, schoolwork, homework, um, uh, work work, like paid work, you know, just every, it, it all happens in uh, putting files, sharing files, it's all through HTTP, um, uploading stuff, updating a website, everything happens in the web browser, it's astonishing, it's astonishing, partly because it, it really is, as I think I've said before on this show, it is kind of, kind of cool that the computing world, whether by intention or by accident, has solved the problem. That there is an application that everyone can use. It is the web browser. And it is extensible. And by extensible, I mean, I mean, yes, it is extensible. There are Firefox extensions and so on. But I mean, by its nature, it loads in any application you want. And those applications, of course, don't live on your computer. They live on other people's servers. Sometimes they keep your data there, and so on. All that aside, point being, whatever application you want, you, you search for it, you find it, you sign up for the account, and now you have a whole new application in, in the same window that you were using. And it's a, it, it's, you have tabs, you have 20 tabs, and when you want to switch to your Word, uh, your office document, you know, you go over to your Google Docs, and when you want to switch over to your email, you go to your Gmail, I guess. When you want to go to your um, project board, your little Kanban uh, project management thing, you switch over to um, Fabricate or, or whatever you're using. Uh, you you want to use, I don't know, whatever other, you know, whatever, 3D applications. There are, like, uh, you know, SketchUp and things like that, Those those things that you can do in the web browser. And none of these things I I use, uh, but but I'm just saying the, I've seen people using these things I and mean, even playing games, you know, like um you want to play uh Roblox, I think that's done in the browser. You want to play um I don't know, lots of things are done in browsers. And and that's what I mean. And I've seen people of all ages just they they live and breathe in the browser. And that's on one hand, that's really cool because we we've not been able to really conquer that. I mean, computers have been a mystery to, to people for for a very long time, and we have we have tried as a computer community to kind of get people comfortable in 
turning on a computer and using it and even seeking out new ways to be productive and to fulfill their 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 uh, productivity desires they and and they're doing that they're doing the thing that i think you know they they've been that they were supposed to do for a long time and and in a, in a way it it it's a little bit open sourcey which is not a term i want to coin but i'm saying in feel and in spirit it is open source because it's not open source but it it, it i think it's in the right direction because rather than just going out and just buying each $300 box because it has a logo on it and it is i have been told that it is the correct one to to purchase they they can find their own solutions you know they can do a search and they can find a an online app that works best for them that's not always how they do it though right i mean sometimes they just blindly sign up for some service but i i feel like they don't stay around if if that doesn't actually serve their needs which frankly i think is is a step up from from some of the things that i've seen in the past i mean i've made money off of these things in the past but people sort of insist on doing this you know learning this application because everyone has told them this complex application will turn you into a professional whatever it is that you're trying to be a professional at whereas i don't think there is somehow the internet has avoided that kind of oh you have to learn this web app because then you will be a professional i mean i don't know maybe that's coming maybe that's developing in you know like do you know the google suite like you should know the google suite i mean frankly i was hired at a job and i was not told that we would be using the google suite i did not i had no reason to believe we would be using the google suite and then it turned out that my manager was a heavy user of the google suite and i mean there were things in the google suite that I didn't, and I'm saying Google Suite, I'm assuming that's what they call it. Like, you know, the Google apps, like the Docs and the spreadsheets and the Drive and things like that. But I was expected to kind of know how to do that stuff, and I had no idea and had no interest in learning Google apps at all. I didn't want to use them, and I didn't want to know how to... I had no interest in, in knowing how to use them, because I never intended to use them outside of that job anyway. And I don't know, hopefully it's not going, it's not getting to the point where in order to get a job at a, at some company, you are expected to know the Google application set, you know, and, and, and know how to use their brand of file sharing and their brand of uh, spreadsheet logic or whatever, whatever might be different and unique the, the, from, from one platform to the next. I don't know. Point being, really, that we have somehow achieved a a marketplace a um a, a system an ecosystem whatever that uh, that people are comfortable opening up one application discovering application you know just discovering essentially the commands that they need to get to get their work whatever that may be done and that is exciting that is it's just sort of objectively from a computing standpoint that is a that is a problem that has been addressed and i may not love all of the manifestations of the solutions that have popped up but i, I do think that there's something there that we can learn about you know in terms of okay what how can we i don't know how can we solve the users problems and i i, I don't think unfortunately i don't think anyone sat down and said you know what we're gonna do here is we are going to design the killer app, and it is going to be the web browser. Nobody thought that. 
You know, I mean, the web browser developed for whatever reason, and I think it was one of those combinations of just luring people into the, as it was called then, the super information highway, you know, the internet, um, luring them into all of these websites and kind of getting them comfortable with this, this information portal, and then sort of slowly, accidentally developing this information portal into kind of an application and having this really bumpy road where there was where there were a bunch of ugly horrible java applications that would sort of get embedded into your browser and then you would or not in, in in your browser but you know that were embedded on the server side and you would use them through your browser and you needed this java plugin and then maybe there was this flash time that was really awkward and unpleasant and then eventually it just kind of it, it, it kept going and it rumbled on and it had its hiccups and its bumps and and, and eventually it developed into something that works fairly well. I mean, you know, love it or hate it, I mean, the modern web is pretty darn functional, and I think you you can't really argue that point, because or argue against that point, because a lot of people are using everything in their web browser, except for 10% of the time. The, the percentages are, are negotiable. We don't have to say it's 90-10, but, but I'm just throwing that out there, because I, I noticed that, that probably if you took the cumulative time that uh, a lot of people that I've observed use their computer, you know, mostly uh, spread across a week or whatever, 90% of that computing time is in a web browser with lots of tabs open and, and just they, they don't, they never go outside of those applications within their web, the, within their web browser. But then there's that, just that one, one afternoon a week where they have to do something that is outside, I guess, the the standard workflow, but it is something that they have to do fairly regularly. And it is something that requires a specialized application. It could be anything. It could be uh, chopping up audio for a podcast. I'm not talking about myself. I'm just saying that that's something that I could see you not doing in a web browser. It could be editing a video. It could be uh, programming. It could be doing some kind of, you know, Python scripting or something. It could be, um, I don't know, whatever. Whatever you can think of that, that while, yeah, you might be able to find a thing here or a thing there where, look, you can do it online, and you can edit videos online, or you can edit whatever, or you can program. But realistically, like, nobody's using that, right? Those are, those are proofs of concepts still. And, and realistically, this stuff is happening locally in some kind of specialized application. And so that's that 10% of the time that people are yanked out of the browser and, and placed back on the desktop, on the traditional desktop. And that 10% of the time, I think, is the thing that keeps a lot of people from wandering away from their proprietary operating system. Or if you want to, and I don't know why you would want to, why are you listening to the show, but if you want to, you, we could take it outside of, we could take it, we could remove the question of is it proprietary or open source operating system and just say that th this 10% of the time is keeping them from wandering away from their OS of choice. And I, and I simply mean that there are applications out there for the desktop environment, you know, outside of a web browser, the old kind of application, uh, that just, they, they don't work on something else. They're exclusive to their platform, whatever that platform may be. And, but, but people know them. People have learned that specific application. They, they've fallen in love with that specific feature set, or they've just grown very comfortable with the location of those buttons or whatever it may be. And so for that 
for that 10% of computer usage time, they are they they retain whatever they are used to. Like they 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 cannot migrate. They they essentially they have no choice. It's like in their mind, they have no choice but to stay with this platform because that one application or that you know that three se- that that series of three applications that they need for that one task are are located on that platform and only on that platform. Now, I don't think that's exactly the only thing keeping people on one platform or the other. There are certain other things under the surface that influence that decision, whether it's uh, reputation of the platform, ubiquity of the platform, comfort levels with, well, how do I update? How do I get an application if I need one? Uh, you know, how, how do I do those little manual tasks that that I don't do that often? You know, it's probably, again, it, it, I guess it is kind of that 10% of the thing. But but when it happens, I, I just, I don't want to have to think about it. I just want to, I want it to be real quick. I want it to be muscle memory. I don't want to have to think about it at all. But generally speaking, I, I do think that, that it's the, I guess the saying is, the devil is in the details, right? But But more so, I think even more significantly, I do think that, there are those applications that people need for one thing or another that keep them on a platform. And I do believe that Linux has attempted to to bridge that gap or to, to overcome that hurdle in a lot of different ways. And I don't know that it's really worked in any way yet. I, I think that very much still people have to overcome that hurdle themselves and maybe that's because ultimately that hurdle is just a mental thing it's a mental block because you do you you see it all the time and and we've probably all been there at one point where where you look at something and you just say well there is absolutely no way that this task can be done with any other tool i've i've tried other tools i've tried other applications and i i just i'm authoritative on this i know because i'm i'm an expert in this area that it cannot be done any other way, this is it. And I mean, I have been there myself. Um, I've, I've been there in a weird way because w- even while exploring other options, I feel like I still kind of defaulted to this other one, you know? And very specifically, video editing. I was video editing on Blender way before I was a Linux user. But in my mind, it was still a developing, developing technology you know clearly blender was not intended for this purpose it just happened to be really cool and really efficient for the purpose although the rendering was a different question but um and i still kind of defaulted to this proprietary platform as the 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 real way to do it so i i do feel like a lot of times people can approach very reasonable alternatives to something that they default to and sort of rationally accept that that's an alternative, that that's a valid alternative. Yes, I can see that you are doing the thing that you are claiming to do with that platform, with, with that application, but here's the thing. I need that button to be in the bottom left, and I need this to happen, and I need that to happen. And since those are not possible in the application that you have, yours is not the real one, mine is. And that's a really difficult hurdle to get over, because because basically you're just taking you're you're taking for every user of an application you're taking you know one or two requests and sometimes these requests conflict and then you're trying to roll it into your application one way or the other and that and that's that's a lot to ask and sometimes they're not small little requests so sometimes they're just you know major overhauls and that's that's too bad i think 
probably the thing to learn from though is how did how how does a person who for you know seven years um was convinced that Microsoft Office was the only office platform that could ever reasonably be expected to do real quote unquote real office work and wouldn't even maybe they wouldn't even look at open office you know maybe they looked but it wasn't good enough right and then you turn around and they're using Google Docs perfectly happily and Google spreadsheets perfect perfectly happy like where's the where does the the demand and the requirement where 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 do those things end and i guess just the convenience factor begin where was the break uh, and and here i'm making an assumption that google docs being online as it is and sort of being the pioneer of, of that probably wins people over from microsoft which you know recently has kind of caught up i guess with google docs in a, in a way but but certainly google docs kind of owns that space like how did that happen where where did that where did that break finally occur and and why why did that break occur what what convinced people that yeah this is worth switching i don't know it's a it's a big it's a question it's a question that uh that i think as computerists we we should look at and kind of ponder for ourselves because ultimately i think people are going to adopt linux if they adopt linux because because it it works better for them. And while the the software, the free software purist in me wants to say, well, that's that's not really, you know, that that's a process, right? Getting something to work better for you isn't something that you just you wake up one day and it's, "Oh my gosh, this is working so much better for me." I mean, that would be neat if that would happen, but that very rarely happens, you know? I mean, even in in the real world, that just doesn't happen all that often. Like how many times do you find a, a product that just is is worlds away from some other product it's just not that common because generally in the real world people borrow ideas from one another just like on computers that we borrow ideas from other operating systems and they borrow from us and so on so it it's usually not a night and day difference it's usually something that you grow to to prefer so i think the the purist in me wants people to really just prefer linux and open source solutions because they're open source and they respect freedom of, of users and programmers the the independence of of really just people you know we're, we're we're independent people we we own our own data we own the the machines that we purchase insofar as we can own uh you know everything down to the the, the sort of the silicon upon which it is all based um and that's important and it should be important to people right and yet i just i don't think that that's how people are going to start using linux anytime soon because because it is it's something that they purchased right they they had to buy a computer and they want that computer to work which is a pretty reasonable request and when they say work of course they mean work exactly in the way that they want it to work of course the irony the great irony is that computers that they purchase with windows or mac on it probably don't work exactly how they want it to but they there's the there's the trade-off right they they say well yeah i hate this about this thing but but everything else i really really like so so that's perfect could they could they get to the same place with linux i'm i'm a hundred percent sure that they could uh, because that's just how people are you know if all other computers other than linux computers went away today people would adapt trust me it's just how people are but that's none of that's going to happen and all of it's theoretical and so the the interesting thought exercise i guess 
for you and me and, and people who think about computer things is what's the, what's the killer feature of, of, of a web browser? What's the killer feature of an alternative online, uh, online all the time office suite? What are the things that are, that are winning? What are they doing that maybe Linux or, or just computers in general could learn from? Or, and, and maybe, frankly, maybe Linux is learning from this stuff. Maybe, maybe the fact that Chromebooks exist and are, are in a pretty healthy space in the market. I mean, they're not huge, but I mean, they're, they're, they're healthy. They're selling. Uh, maybe the fact that, and, and maybe the fact that, you know, Valve is, is using Linux as their, their foundation for SteamOS and so on. I mean, maybe these are all things that are, that are working. Maybe, maybe it, it is, you know, this is us learning. This is, this is the, the process. But I think as, as Linux users and promoters really tuning into user, user requirements, whether real or imagined, I mean, it's still a requirement. If the user says, I need this, then that's what the user needs, right? Whether they need it or not, that's, if they say that's what they want, then that's what they want, darn it. Uh, and, and how can we adapt and how can we, how can we either provide alternatives that are more attractive or, or demonstrate how something can be better or just make Linux better? Like what are the, what are our options? I think it's, it's all pretty good to think about and to kind of consider. Um, and yeah, look at the computer users around you in your own life, uh, and, and kind of see what they're, what they do use actually. It, it might surprise you. It'll, it's, it's an interesting use. It's always an interesting study to see how someone else uses their computer. I would, I, I, I just, it's the most fun ever. Like it, when I was making freelance dollars from uh, fixing people's computers back in, in uh, Pittsburgh, it was fascinating to sit down with someone at a cafe and, 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 and say, you know, here, demonstrate the, the problem that you are, you're experiencing and, and just watch them use their computer. It's, um, it's always enlightening. And so, yeah, paying attention to people and how they use and what they use on their computers, I think you can learn a lot. Question is, can we, can we use what we've learned then to, to help our users have a better experience? I think we can. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening. I will talk to you next week. Cast. This has been Klaatu. You can reach me on IRC. I'm on the Freenode network usually in channels such as Ogcast Planet, Slacker Media, Slackware, a couple of others. My nick on IRC is not Klaatu. You can also reach me lately on Mastodon. My username there is at Klaatu at Mastodon.xyz. Of course, you can email me at klatu at member.fsf.org. That's klatu at member.fsf, as in free software foundation.org. And of course, you can visit my various websites, gnuworldorder.info and slackermedia.info. I will see you next time.
guess what? 